This podcast is presented by All Copy Products, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. Learn more at allcopyproducts.com. To the 15, to the 10, Murray's going to score, touchdown! Welcome to the Cardinals Red Sea Report. Slammed to the ground by Buda Baker. Like a torpedo, he came flying into the backfield. Connor to the 10, to the 5, and into the end zone for the touchdown! The Cardinals Red Sea Report is brought to you by Arizona Cardinals Podcast. Visit azcardinals.com slash podcast. Here we go. One-handed catch and a touchdown. Oh, baby. How's that feel? Here's Craig Grealou, Paul Calvisi, and three-time pro bowler Kyle Vandenbosch. So uh, we have reached week three of the great head coaching search of 2023. No resolution as of yet, which means, Kyle, there is still time to include your name in the mix and perhaps why typically we are joined by Drew Stanton, got Paul Calvisi this week. Perhaps, Kyle, that's where Drew is right now and unable to be a part of this week's show. I doubt it. I think no. Drew's still, wow. still sleeping. Uh, it's it's a struggle for Drew. You, you know when he rolls in here every week, he comes with a cup of coffee, still has sleep in his eyes, sometimes pajama pants. So um, he took the week off. He, uh, he's he been working pretty hard chasing his kids around. So I, I, I doubt that he's ready for a head coaching role. My understanding is that he was doing impersonations of Pauly Pencilneck during commercial breaks last week. Uh, so with that in mind, we're going to Wally Pip Drew Stanton here today. <laughs> you want equal time? Is that what you're saying, Paul? No mas, Drew. No mas. Just for that. That boom, we're out for your gig right here. Well, let's get into it because there is a gig that is open, and that is the head coach of the Arizona Cardinals. This much we do know. There has been one confirmed candidate, and that is Cardinals defensive coordinator Vance Joseph. Michael Bidwell announced that a couple of weeks back. Now, there have been seven other names, to my knowledge, Paul, that have been linked to the Cardinals, either a request or a reported interview. Former Colts head coach Frank Reich. Former Dolphins head coach Brian Flores, former Saints head coach Sean Payton, current Broncos defensive coordinator Ejero Ivero, Cowboys defensive coordinator Dan Quinn, Lions defensive coordinator Aaron Glenn, and 49ers defensive coordinator D'Amico Ryans. The latest is Dan Quinn. That was the news today. Tom Pelissero, NFL Network. He's going to get a second interview. Interesting, is it not? Dan Quinn, who went to a Super Bowl in his second year with Atlanta. You could argue Kyle Shanahan lost that Super Bowl. Dan Quinn should have a ring based on the 28-3 lead. How about Dan Quinn and what he's done with that Dallas defense? You realize when he showed up two years ago, they were 28th in scoring defense. They were bottom five in most every metric. And as soon as he showed up, they were top five in almost every metric. Scoring D again this year, sacks, they were top three. Now they did add a Micah Parsons. But here's my question to Kyle Vandenbosch. If you're the decision makers around here, and you haven't quite figured out maybe how to deploy an Isaiah Simmons and a Zayvon Collins, do you think there's anybody more qualified to figure that out based on what Dan Quinn did with Micah Parsons the last couple of years than a Dan Quinn himself? To me, that's really intriguing. Oh, absolutely. Um, You know, I love watching defenses that he coaches. They're fast. Um, He's innovative. He brings people from everywhere. Um, he, he does, you know, and honestly, you know, I, I think Vance Joseph does a fantastic job of this as well. Um, he finds out what players do best and puts them in the best situation to succeed. You don't necessarily say, this is my system, this is how we're running it, and you're going to have to figure it out. Um, if, if, you know, 
Micah Parsons, for example, um, he's used in every sort of way you can use him. He's used in coverage. He sometimes does zone drops. He's used as a pass rusher. Sometimes he's lined up as an inside backer because he's that type of athlete. And you can see, um, you know, the Cardinals did some of that this year with Zayvon Collins, Zayvon Collins and Isaiah Simmons moved them around a little bit. And so I, I think that would be, you know, a benefit of having him here. Um, and again, saying that a, a guy like him, you know, I, I think we all want – um, you know, more structure, more discipline. You can see, you know, when they featured uh, the Dallas Cowboys in Hard Knocks last preseason, that's the type of coach he is. He has high expectations from his players, and in turn, his players respect that, and, and they fall in line. And, and to me, you know, if anything, you know, you're looking at what, what are the credentials, what what are the characteristics we're looking for in a head coach? That has to be near the top of the list is the structure and the discipline. Um, and, and to me, that can be the quickest way to help flip some of this, some of the problems with this team and get more wins next season. Well, those qualities that we want to see in a head coach, there is one individual that is making this decision, several individuals, but the general manager makes that decision as far as who he wants to be as the head coach, Monty Austin Ford, on what he is looking for a head coach for the Cardinals this season. I think there's a, the specifics in terms of, of leadership in developing players and coaches, in being a teacher of fundamentals, details, and techniques. We're trying to build a sustainable program here. This is not a short-term fix. So we want a, a coach that sees the big picture and understands that we're not happy with just the results of 2023. We're building this for extended championship teams as we move forward. And not looking specifically, Kyle, at an offensive head coach or a defensive head coach yet curious on the read when we see that five of the excuse me six of the eight candidates have that defensive background the only two that do not are Frank Reich and Sean Payton yeah I think you're you know I agree with that you you don't want to you know casting the wide net interviewing a lot of people getting a lot of different perspectives but to me um, you know, I think what this organization, what Monty Austinfort's looking for, is a general philosophy about how to build a team. You look at these four teams that remain in the playoffs. To me, it, you know, the one thing they have in common, they've built a strong offensive line and they've built a good defensive front. And to me, that's what this Cardinals organization needs to move forward is we need to solidify that defensive front. We need to solidify the offensive line and then build from there, you know. Um, I think that's how good organizations are built, particularly from, as he mentioned, a sustainability standpoint. You can try to flip a team quickly by bringing in skill player after skill player to light up the scoreboard, but if you want to build a stable organization and consistently win and make deep playoff runs, you have to have the ability to run the football, stop the run, and get after the quarterback, and I think that you know that's what a lot of these defensive coordinators that's how they're wired they want a strong defensive front they understand the importance of a good offensive line they understand how difficult it is when you face a balanced offense that has the ability to run the ball and then pass protect as well and I was talking to Gree about this Kyle you look at the Cardinals past 15 drafts and really it doesn't take long to do the research because when you're looking for offensive linemen drafted in round one or round two in the past 15 drafts there are two D.J. Humphreys, 2015, Jonathan Cooper, 2013. And that is it. 
first or second round picks invested in the offensive line the past 15 drafts. And if you look at the defensive line, interior defensive linemen, there are three. Robert Kondichi, the end of round one, 2016. Dan Williams, the end of round one, 2010. And then you got to go back to 2008 and Calais Campbell, who's now in his 15th season. But here's my question on the head, on the head coaching search. There's six defensive guys. There are four guys who are former head coaches. To what degree is that going to separate? Because the last two head coaches hired by the Arizona Cardinals were first-time NFL head coaches. So you look at the list, and to me, it stands out, whether it's a Vance Joseph, whether it's a Brian Flores, whether it's a Dan Quinn, or a Sean Payton. I wonder if those guys all have an advantage just because they have experience as former NFL head coaches. Well, really, you got to go all the way back to Dennis Green to have a Cardinals head coach with head coach and experience. Yeah, there's that little asterisk next to Bruce Arians' name, but he was interim head coach. He didn't set up his own staff. He kind of stepped into something and made it work and was named coach of the year. But I'm in favor, especially with a first-time general manager, Kyle, that you don't have a first-time head coach. My preference is to get someone in here who does have that head coaching experience that knows and maybe has learned from past mistakes and now getting a second opportunity or a third opportunity to kind of do it here with the Arizona Cardinals. I I think there's tremendous value in that to have that experience, to have gone through the rigors of training camp as a head coach, to understand what it's like to be late in a season and how to put yourself in position to get into the playoffs, to have coached in playoff games. All those situations are different. Look, I think, you know, the the shot they took on Cliff Kingsbury, look, it paid dividends. They they flipped this organization. They they you know, every year they got better with the exception of this last year. Um, but you know, there was constant conversation about game management and, and you know, give him a little time. He's he's kind of learning on the job. Um, you know, I don't know if that's the situation we're in right now. I, quite frankly, um, you know, I know a lot of people are hesitant to use this word, but just because of the the turnover with the GM, the head coach, and the large amount of potential turnover on this roster, it is a full rebuild. You have the opportunity to completely mold this organization in the vision of Monty Austinfort and whoever this next head coach is. And what you want there is some experience to have gone through this before and not start from ground zero and kind of feel your way through it. Um, you want somebody that has made those decisions that has given that type of input um, and that can you know, identify which type of players fit the type of system we're looking for. And I do think we're getting closer and closer, Paul, to a conclusion to this search. You mentioned Dan Quinn, according to reports, coming in for a second interview. Sean Payton, according to reports, will be in on Thursday. And then without the benefit of interviewing current coordinators on other teams that are still involved in the playoffs, that can't happen until late next week after Championship Sunday. And then, of course, Super Bowl week, typically leagues don't like when big announcements are made the week of big events in their sports. You know, the good news for the Cardinals is there's only five teams looking for a head coach as opposed to last year and there are 10 at this time. And no one has hired that guy yet. So as soon as maybe the first hire is made, you might get a run on head coaches. We'll see. Uh, If you can get through these conference championship games and you want to hold out to still talk to uh, D'Amico Ryans, for example, who's eligible to talk again next week, then maybe, just maybe. And maybe he's the exception to the former head coaching experience rule. If he's such a rock star at age 38 and he's such a can't-miss, then obviously you would go ahead and make that hire if that's what you determine. But considering the timetable and considering his connections to Houston, it's not surprising to me that after the Houston Texans interview for D'Amico Ryans, that he canceled on the Colts and the Cardinals. That might just be such a fit. 
And the fan base might be so in favor of bringing home a former Houston Texans team captain that that might just be in the making right now. And it's a matter of Texans ownership just go ahead and ponying up the cash to seal that deal. This much we do know. Things happen very, very quickly when it comes to head coaching searches in the National Football League. I'm reminded four years ago in this very studio, Kyle, where you were sitting, Bertrand Berry was speaking, our colleague here on the Arizona Cardinals Radio Network. And at the time, the reports were Cliff Kingsbury in New York meeting with the Jets. Well, little did we know that as we're speaking about that, owner Michael Bidwell and soon-to-be head coach Cliff Kingsbury, walked in and were listening here (laughs) inside the Dignity Health Arizona Cardinals Training Center. And fortunately for us, it was B-Train speaking glowingly on Cliff Kingsbury and not anything else. But yeah, that is, you never know. No, we... That's the one thing you don't know. I mean, everything is kept so close to the vest. Um, all sides are, you know, the team is trying to, you know, go through the process, trying to interview everybody they can. Um, like Mr. Bidwell said, um, leave no stone unturned, cast a wide net. Meanwhile, agents are trying to tweet out where their guys are going, where their guys are interviewing. Uh, they're trying to get leverage, trying to get their um, clients more money. Um, you know, honestly, you know we can we can look at the list and the the next head coach the Arizona Cardinals might not even be on this list. We can talk about who would be the best fit, who we like, um, but you never know. And and again, to me, I th- I think an experienced coach um, provides tremendous value. But at the same time, there there's case after case of first time head coaches, even this year, first time head coaches getting into the playoffs and making playoff runs and and turning around organizations that have struggled in recent years. So. Um, you know the interview process which we have no part of we don't know what questions are being asked we don't know what the criteria are um that is the crucial part and i just trust that you know again you talk about experience michael bidwell has been through this process enough times that he has a good idea of what he's looking for in this next head coach he has both you know, made good hires and and realized which types of mistakes possibly he's made in the past, and he has a good idea. So um, you just trust him in this process and trust he knows what he's looking for and and appreciate that this process doesn't seem rushed. I mean, you know, as you've talked about and as as has been talked about on airwaves, the last two coaching hires, uh, the new head coach had been named by this point in the offseason. So, you know, while – there's processes going on. There is always a sense of urgency in the NFL because, you know, the gears are always turning. you got free agency. You've got the draft coming up. Um, you've got to, you know, solidify your assistant coaches. All of that needs to happen. It is vitally important that the right choice is made. And so the due diligence is being done right now. And, and in due time, we will find out who our new head coach is. Keep in mind, 10 head coaches, new head coaches last year, five made the playoffs. So it can hit. It can be a quick turnaround. And you never quite know if a head coach is serious about you. A Sean Payton, who reportedly is going to interview with the Cardinals on Thursday, has already been to Denver and Carolina. Well, those are the two wealthiest ownership groups in the NFL. You got Walmart money in Denver. You got David Tepper, hedge fund guy in Carolina. They want to make it happen, and he wants 20 to $25 million a year. They can make that happen. So is Sean Payton just trying to get extra teams into the mix to create leverage? You never know. And again, there's still time, Kyle. 
And there's still time, perhaps, for Drew Stanton to get in the mix as well. I'm going to keep pushing it because I think it would be great to have a current head coach on with us here on the Cardinals Red Sea Report each and every Tuesday all year long. Change is upon us, and some change has already happened. That's next here on the Arizona Cardinals Radio Network. Drew has a little link. I have a system that I believe in, and that's where we're going to focus our time and attention. And we are going to use traditional scouting methods. We are going to use analytical scouting methods. And we are going to, every step of the way, check our work, make sure we're not missing something, and continue to add competition to this roster at every opportunity that we have during the league year. The voice of Cardinals general manager Monty Austin Ford during his introductory press conference and a big emphasis on what he talked about was, yes, looking for talent, acquiring talent, not just for a one-year fix, but sustained success here with the Arizona Cardinals as we welcome you back here to the Cardinals Red Sea Report presented by SeatGeek, your ticket to great seats. Craig Rio, Luke Avendabosh, and Paul Calvisi. I tease coming into this segment, Paul, that change was already happening. According to NFL Network's Tom Pelissero, or I believe it was not Pelissero, Mike Garofolo, one of those one of the NFL Network's talking heads, that sure. Monty Austin Fort has made one addition to his department, if you will, and assistant general manager has been hired. The name is Dave Sears, the Lions director of college scouting. It's been with the Lions since 2007. Started as a regional scout, so bringing in your own pieces, if you will, some of the familiar names and faces that you want to work with to get things turned around here. If you're talking about a head coach, we always pose the question, what is culture worth? If you're talking about a GM, or in this case, an assistant GM, what is an eye for talent worth? If you get a superior talent evaluator, somebody who can pull some of those playmakers and difference makers out of the middle of the draft, heck, you know, just the Cardinals track record over the last 15 years in round one. But if you look at the Lions' last couple of drafts, and they're pulling like the pass rusher out of day three, Justin Houston, who had as many sacks as Aiden Hutchinson, the number two pick in the draft. They found their middle linebacker, a rookie, out of the middle of this year's pass draft. If you can start hitting on those kind of picks like Seattle did back in the day when they built the juggernaut, Legion of Boom, like the Rams did in a lot of ways en route to the Super Bowl when they're pulling starting cornerbacks out of round three and four, so, you know, Brad Holmes, obviously with the Rams, now with the Lions. How does that Jared Groff trade look now when Jared Goff was as good as anybody down the stretch? Plus, they got all those picks, and they're going to be picking in the top ten with the Rams picks. So, if you can get that guy with an eye for talent, I, I tell you, you know, I mean, what is that worth? So, whatever they paid Dave Sears, if he indeed is that guy, that's invaluable. And Sears does have a connection with Austin Ford. They overlapped for three seasons in Houston, 2002, 2004, and 2005. But it's that background in college scouting, Kyle, that I think this team right now, especially with the draft just right around the corner and holding that number three overall pick, and we talked about it earlier, you want to build from the inside out, whether that's the offensive line or defensive line. No, you're exactly right. And I stumbled across the list um, online of, of both Monty Ford and Dave Sears, and it was their offensive line picks that hit and their defensive line picks that hit. And this is what I talked about earlier. To me, you know, when you want to build a sustainable, successful organization, it has to start at the line of scrimmage. It has to start with an offensive line and a defensive line, particularly when 
you know, you have your franchise quarterback in place, when you have valuable pieces, cornerstone pieces um, in your organization that aren't necessarily on the offensive line and defensive line, that are skilled players that um, are on the back end of your defense, you really need to solidify that front. I mean, in the end, you can, you can, like I said earlier, you can win, you can have a lot of success in the short run, uh, building a team around skill position. But to be sustainable, to have a sustainable winning organization, to make a run in the playoffs like we're seeing right now, I mean, you look at the teams that won this past weekend, it was their ability to control the clock, to run the ball in the playoffs that allowed them to win these games. And you look at these four teams, all four of them have good O-lines, have a good pass rush. Um, you know, to me, that is where this organization needs to go. And I think we have the right two people in charge of making those decisions right now. When Joe Burrow says Cincinnati is better than a year ago, he's talking about the offensive line. He's talking about three backups in there, and they rushed for a buck seventy-two at Buffalo, gave up just one sack, had thirty-first downs. He's talking about his line of scrimmage. And when you when you're Monty Ford and now Dave Sears, think about think about just the blank slate that is in front of you with this Cardinals line of scrimmage, both sides of the ball. DJ Humphreys is under contract, and then what? Josh Jones, Rodney Hudson technically, but nobody expects Rodney Hudson back. On the defensive line with the retirement of J.J. Watt, I mean, it's 52-card pickup in a lot of ways. So that's both a curse and a blessing. They can put their own brand on it, but at the same time, there are a lot of decisions to be made in the trenches. Cardinals have yet to officially announce the hiring of Dave Sears. The Lions, however, at least Chris Spielman, the special assistant to the president, CEO, and chairperson, talked glowingly of Dave Sears recently on 98.7 FM Arizona Sports. He is as a talented evaluator as I've been around. I've been around a lot of them in my football life. He is a team guy. He is a leader because he led our college department. He's a great communicator. He's not looking to serve Dave Sears. He's looking to serve the Arizona Cardinals, probably one of the humblest, smartest football men I've been around. He's a young guy. I think it's no surprise that he was plucked from our staff, people that know him and, and been around him. He knows what he's doing, and he's excellent at a talent evaluator. And there is a lot of talent here on this current roster and the 33 unrestricted free agents to be that needs to be evaluated and evaluated ASAP with free agency and the draft coming up here in the next couple of months but when you look at okay Kyle it's you got your head coach all right now the next order of business for general manager Monty Austin Ford not that he's hasn't already started this process but when you look at the things that need to be done is there a pecking order? Is there one thing that's far and above the rest, in your opinion? Well, after head coach, um, you know, you need to find out who your coordinators are, what type of system they want to run, and then you start to make decisions with your pending free agents, with free agents that um, are out there on the streets, and whether they will fit that system. Um, you know, for example, there's a huge difference if the Arizona Cardinals next year are going to be an odd front, um, have a three-man front, or have an even front. And in the type of personnel you want to bring in, you know, um, if 
for example, you know, it becomes a D'Amico Ryan's that's your head coach. You got to assume it's going to be a lot like the 49ers run, where it's you know your emphasis. I think the 49ers draft a defensive lineman in the first round every single year, and while that seems like a, a horrible mistake, it pays huge dividends for them because they every single year have a disruptive front four. Um, you know, it, it just depends what you you in order to move forward with your personnel decisions. Um, we've got to find out who our coordinators are and what they're about. You know, if we're going to be a pass-heavy offense, then you need to either look at free agent offensive linemen that are good in pass protection or you need to look that look for them in the draft. However, if we're a run-heavy offense or we're a balanced offense, you know, that tells you what type of offensive lineman you're looking for. So I think, you know, the progression of this is head coach coordinators, find the system, evaluate evaluate your own players, which ones are critical to keep and that fit into that system, and then you move forward to which guys can we find from the outside to bring in to help. So to Kyle's point, depending on what defensive scheme you're playing, where does Isaiah Simmons fit? This past season, the majority of his snaps were at slot corner. Is that what you envisioned when you took him eighth overall? A slot corner? A glorified safety? Vance Joseph said towards the end of the year, he's someone that really needs to play in space as opposed to a box player. So what does that mean? If it's D'Amico Ryans, if it's Dan Quinn, whomever, Brian Flores. So what is the system? Where does an Isaiah Simmons fit? Because you have to decide about his fifth-year contract option. That's one of the big off-season decisions straight ahead for Monty Austin Ford. And another one, when you talk about players under contract, is DeAndre Hopkins. One of the bigger names, one of the bigger cap hits if you will he has no guaranteed money on his deal he's got two years left on that deal and the speculation has been running rampant and much of it because of what Hopkins has done and not done but his most recent social media post on Instagram a picture of him in a Cardinals uniform with the caption forever grateful dot 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 and then hearing reports Paul that Monty is planning to meet with whether it's face to face or not but meet with D Hop to figure out all right do you want to be here? Do you not want to be here? Because remember, Hop has a no-trade clause. And he's his own agent. So when you meet with DeAndre Hopkins, you're meeting with Team Hop. He's both his agent and the player. He is the sole decision-maker. So what does he have in mind? He has a no-trade clause. Okay, what's his inclination to going elsewhere, especially if it results in a new deal with a lot of guaranteed money? That, I'm guessing, is going to come with another team. But I'm also guessing there are other teams that would seriously entertain trading and paying DeAndre Hopkins. What is a number one receiver worth right now to the New York Giants? What is a true number one elite wide receiver worth to the New England Patriots? Even the Chicago Bears. These are all teams that are desperate for a proven difference maker at wide receivers. So you got to figure that out. And, and you're right. Whether you trade him or you move him, whatever you do, if he's not an Arizona Cardinal next year, it's almost $23 million in dead cap money. So that is something you're going to have to deal with. Cardinals gave up a first-round draft pick to get Hollywood Brown. The Philadelphia Eagles gave up two draft picks, won a first-round selection to get A.J. Brown, and you see what he did with the Philadelphia Eagles. So there is, then to Paul's point, Kyle, there are teams out there that may feel that they are just one skilled player away, one number one wide receiver away, and that might be attractive enough for both the Cardinals, Hopkins, and said team. 
Yeah, there's a lot of factors that go into it. You know, does this team want to, uh, again, I call it a rebuild, but want to do a rebuild? And, and is DeAndre Hopkins a part of that? Does DeAndre Hopkins want to be a part of a rebuild? Um, you know, since he has a no trade, I, I think you got to sit down with DeAndre Hopkins if this is an option and find out which teams are you willing to go to because I'm sure at his age you know he's chasing championships he wants to be one of the all-time greats you can see on hard knocks his conversations with Sean Jefferson about whether he's a hall of fame type player well you you want to put an exclamation point on a hall of fame career it is playoff success and it is it is Super Bowl so um, I'm sure that's something he wants you know probably more than the next big contract he wants to go to a contender and he wants to go win a Super Bowl and then you look at you know Monty Austin for where did he come from? He was you know in New England. Uh, what what is New England do? What what is one of their um, you know patented personnel moves? Well, it seemed like for years they would either trade or let players go in their prime, but it was before the decline. And here we have a receiver that is still in his prime, but he's what thirty now. He's turning thirty one next year. How much longer will he be at his prime? Do you pay him? Um, you know, a next another big contract which he needs because of his cap hit. Do you give him another big contract at 30 years old, or do you let him walk and let somebody else handle that burden? Or do you, I mean, not let him walk? Do you trade him and let somebody else give him that contract? And and that seems to be the New England type of philosophy. And Hopkins still very talented, still very much effective in an offense. He led the Cardinals in receiving yards this season, despite only playing nine games. And if teams needed a reminder as to what sort of talent he is and how accomplished he still is and how he can impact games, the Cardinals tweeted out a nice highlight video of him about 48 hours ago. So there's a reminder to all 31 other teams that, you know what, D-Hop can still play. There's Here's the thing, though. The A.J. Green quote, D-Hop don't miss games, not true. He's missed 15 games over the last two years where he had missed two games over his first eight years. So I wonder if that's a hesitant. You know, it makes teams hesitate a little bit. And six of those games were because of a suspension. Yep. Cardinal fans, join the season ticket priority list. Select your seats before the general public. For more information, go to azcardinals.com slash priority list for more information. This is the Arizona Cardinals Radio Network. That'll do it. And the road to the Super Bowl runs through Philadelphia. The Eagles are in the NFC Championship game, knocking off the Giants 38-7. And the top seed in the NFC looked every bit the part on this Saturday night in Philly. So Zeke Elliott over the football. He's going to snap it to Prescott. Prescott back to pass, throws left, caught by Turpin, hit and dropped. After all that, they throw it to Turpin, tackled at the 30, and the game is over for a second straight year. The 49ers are going to the NFC Championship game. San Francisco 19, Dallas 12. The 49ers will go to Philly with a trip to the Super Bowl on the line. Still don't quite know exactly what the Cowboys were trying to accomplish there on that final play, but it doesn't matter. The 49ers advance. The Eagles advance. Westwood won with the final calls of the two divisional games last weekend. Eagles beat the Giants 38-7. 49ers beat the Cowboys 19-12. And now, Kyle, you've got two of the better defenses 
in all of the NFL meeting on Championship Sunday. That is the first game, 49ers at the Eagles, 1 p.m. on Fox this Sunday, January 29th. Yeah, everyone's talking about the quarterbacks, but from your perspective, where you sit as a defensive player, 49ers and Eagles, this could be a low-scoring affair. It could be. Um, you know, let's not discount the weapons that both teams have on offense. Um, you know, this is what I was talking about earlier. You look at, uh, you know, the Cardinals had played both of these teams. This is the best two offensive lines that the Cardinals went up against, and this is probably the best two defensive lines that the Arizona Cardinals went up against. I mean, just dudes everywhere, and that's how both these teams are built. And you look at the skill, everybody wants to talk about the Niners' weapons, and everybody wants to talk about you know Jalen Hurts and his weapons and the running backs and the running game. I mean, to me, these teams, their strengths is in the trenches, and that's where this game is going to come down to. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I really can't call it. These, this is two very talented teams. Um, you, you talk about talented rosters, um, and it's just – I have no idea of trying to figure out where this game is going to go because, like you talk about, this is two really good defenses. This is They have playmakers all over the field, two teams that got a ton of turnovers in the regular season that have playmakers on defense, but they both have game-breaking receivers. They have you know really good running games. They have innovative um, offensive Play callers, so um, you know. To me, this is this is one you stop everything you're doing and you sit on your couch um, and have your wife bring you some beers while you watch this game because you got to pay close attention. This 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 could be a really exciting game. Not my wife. She says, "Is this a, is this is this a big game?" And I say, "Yeah, it's the NFC Championship. Great. I'm going shopping. Nobody's out." So uh, that's the approach at Casa Calvisi. I'll say this, you know, and I'll keep it simple. I'll do what I do best, right? Okay. In addition to asking the dumb guy question, I'll just keep it stupid simple. Three best teams in the AFC were the three teams with the best quarterbacks in the league: Joe Burrow, Patrick Mahomes, and Josh Allen. In the NFC, the three best teams, when it got down to it, were the three best teams in getting to the quarterback. Am I wrong? In the 49ers, the Eagles, and the Dallas Cowboys. It's all about the quarterback, getting to the quarterback, and it's funny how the best six teams left in the playoffs either fit one or the other. Eagles defense recorded five sacks in that game against the Giants. Hassan Reddick had a sack and a half. And you look at what the 49ers were able to accomplish. They intercepted Dak Prescott twice, which led to two 49ers field goals. But it always comes down to, Kyle, who makes the most mistakes? Who's going to turn the ball over? And I'll say this because the one unknown in all of this, yet he is 7-0 as a starting quarterback, is Brock Purdy, the local kid. He did not turn the ball over at all last week. In fact, he only has two interceptions as a starting quarterback compared to 14 touchdowns. We keep saying it, the stage does not look too big or bright for him, yet is this the week where he becomes that rookie quarterback? Yeah, every week, man, I've just been impressed. More than anything, you know, like you said, he doesn't turn the ball over. He takes care of the ball. And I think that's all they ask him to do with the weapons they have on offense. But at the same time, when the moment comes and he has to make a play, he does. And and he doesn't look like he gets rattled. Even if he gets hit, even if he makes a bad throw, even if he makes a mistake, he just gets right back up. He looks tremendously poised, really beyond his years and beyond his experience. He looks like he's been doing this for years. And and you know, on on the biggest stage he's ever been in in his career, he just continues to go out there and be steady Eddie and operate this offense and and keep this team rolling and moving in the right direction. You keep waiting for that hiccup. You keep waiting for that rookie moment. You keep looking for that reason why 
so many teams overlooked him in the draft and the draft process, and it just hasn't happened yet. Two playoff wins, zero turnovers. I think it was Steve Young who was making the point that look at how much action and experience he got in college. Brock Purdy. He was a four-year starter at Iowa State, as opposed to a lot of quarterbacks who come into the NFL after even you know a Trey Lance. Look at his teammate with the Niners. He barely got a full college season in worth of games. So I think that shows that college experience. But he's going against an Eagles defense that had 70 sacks in the regular season. Led the NFL and it wasn't even close. They had five sacks against the Giants. Daniel Jones looked like a rookie at times in that game. He had a 55% completion percentage. Giants only had 227 total yards. So that Eagles defense is legit. Here's the thing, though. Brock Purdy against Jalen Hurts, it happened in college, and it was a barn burner. It was 2019, 42-41, Oklahoma, and Jalen Hurts won when Iowa State failed on a two-point conversion at the very end. But Brock Purdy at least has the confidence of going against Jalen Hurts once upon a time and throwing for five touchdowns and running for another. So he dueled Jalen Hurts right to the end once upon a time. Well, Jalen's got that college experience as well. We're just yep. now finally seeing it. This is his quote-unquote breakout year, if you will, MVP candidate. Has the number one seat, three first half touchdowns in what was a twenty-eight to nothing ball game at halftime. That game wasn't even that close, Paul, and it was a thirty-eight-seven decisive win for the Eagles. And everyone looked back and go, "Okay, I think the Eagles are just fine. No issues with that shoulder that kept Hurts out of the game or out of the uh, two of the last three games." And then conversely, guess what? Jalen Hurts is going to get. A 49ers defense that is more than a step ahead in the New York Giants. The Niners have an all-pro player at all three levels of the defense. We know what Nick Bose is all about. Eric Armstead rounding into form again. How about Fred Warner in that game last week? He's making tackles for loss in the backfield. He's 30 yards downfield playing center field safety, breaking up an almost touchdown pass. He had an interception in the red zone. Fred Warner, I know a lot of Niners fans are saying, is Fred Warner on par with Patrick Willis? Yes, he is. He's that kind of dude. As you look at this game, though, Kyle, I know you said it was kind of too close to call, but I do think it's going to come down to that trench, if you will, but which defense sets up better against the other one because I think as much as the quarterbacks get all the attention, this might be the game in which everyone points to, all right, defensive line or front seven, front eight, however many are in the box, which of those tells the tale of who's going to win well to, to me that could be the biggest factor in this game you know as good as Philly's defense was in, in getting after the quarterback all season they really struggled stopping the running game against a lot of teams and we all know what this 49ers running game can do with Kyle Shanahan calling the plays we all know what they can do with multiple weapons in the backfield with uh, Christian McCaffrey and and you know you plug in um, Elijah Mitchell um, Debo Samuel, I mean, Kyle Juszczyk, they, they've got so many different ways to hurt you in the run game. So um, to me, it w- that will be the biggest factor is whether the Philly defensive front, their front seven can limit what the 49ers want to do in the ground game. If we're looking for a Cardinals angle on this, I- I'm going to point to Jalen Hurts, who replaced Kyler Murray, obviously, at Oklahoma. And what all his teammates said after the game that going into that Giants playoff opener Jalen Hurts addressed all the players during a team meeting and said, among other things, quote, I ain't hungry. I'm starving for this bleep. And then everyone, including Dallas Goddard, said that he sets the tone for the entire team, Jalen Hurts, and everyone follows what he does and what he says. All those guys called Jalen Hurts the leader of this place, quote, end quote. So you know what? 
I think there's something for a Kyler Murray to look at in a Jalen Hurts and how he leads from that quarterback position. 49ers at the Eagles Championship Sunday. It is the first game, 1 p.m. on Fox NFC representative to play in Super Bowl. AFC Championship game. We'll talk about that as we continue here on the Arizona Cardinals Radio Network. Riley Patterson trotting to the ball, swings his leg through, it's end over and it bounces, it's slippery, but it was fallen upon by Kadarius Tony of the Chiefs, and that's going to do it. Chiefs are going to get the onside kick recovered at the 46-yard line. Jacksonville can't stop it, and the Chiefs are going to go to the AFC Championship game for the fifth consecutive year. Burrow takes a knee, and it's over. The winning continues for Cincinnati. The Bengals are going back to the AFC Championship game. They have won 10 in a row, and they will make an appearance in the conference championship for consecutive years for the first time in franchise history. 27 to 10, the final here in Orchard Park, New York. Stage is set. Bengals at the Chiefs, a rematch of last season's AFC Championship game, and that will be played on Sunday afternoon in the late window, 4.30 on CBS. Westwood won with the play-by-play of the end to the Chiefs beating the Jaguars 27-20 and the Bengals beating the Bills 27-10. As we welcome you back here to the Cardinals Red Sea Report, presented by SeatGeek, your ticket to great seats and a as opposed to the defenses that we talked about with the Eagles and 49ers, Paul, it is going to be the quarterbacks that get all of the attention. Patrick Mahomes, how's the ankle? And Joe Burrow, can he get the team back into the Super Bowl and then take that next step and win the Super Bowl? Hey, Cincinnati is not lacking for confidence right now. After the game, Eli Apple, and I quote, it was never close, saying it should have been should have been 31-10 because they got robbed of that last touchdown at the end. How about... Joe Burrow on the uh, post-game interview better uh, send out those refunds, right? And then, and then uh, Zach Taylor after the game with the deadpan saying, "You know what? It, it's tough because the league has to formulate all those plans for the coin tosses. You know, the neutral site game they sold out and all that." He said, "I really apologize. We keep screwing up for everybody and the logistical issues and all that stuff." And so it's good they had that motivation. Not unlike a Cardinals team that in 2008 in the postseason made the run, right, as the worst <clears throat> playoff team in the right and they use that shock the world so it's never a bad thing to have a little extra motivation and then of course you look when you look at this matchup and the fact that Joe Burrow was 3-0 and all time against Patrick Mahomes the Bengals aren't going in at least in their minds as an underdog when they visit KC well they went in last year and won in KC they've won 10 straight have not lost since Halloween meanwhile the Chiefs the fifth not only the fifth straight AFC Championship game, but the fifth straight time hosting this game. I mentioned Patrick Mahomes dealing with that high ankle sprain. It's his right ankle, though, Kyle, not his plant leg. So whether that means anything or not, he still played the bulk of that game with that injured ankle and still was managed to go two touchdown passes and to his favorite target, Travis Kelsey. <laughs> yeah, I was just thinking that. I mean, can anybody cover Travis Kelsey? How does he get so wide open? I mean, is it play design? Is it uh, just, you know, Patrick Mahomes and him have some special magic? I don't know. I mean, it's it's incredible. Every single game, it seems like, how how would you not cover him? How would you not put two guys on him? It's, it's incredible. To me, you know, one of the big factors with Mahomes, it, you go back to that game last week, that first drive, I mean, that was – 
Patrick Mahomes in a nutshell. The, his ability to extend plays, throw the ball off platform, throw it sidearm, put it anywhere. Uh, he just continues to do things that other quarterbacks cannot do on a consistent basis or other quarterbacks try to do, and it typically doesn't end well. I mean, he's just different. Um, so now you take away his mobility, and it's a big factor in this game. I mean, look, he's got a tremendous arm. He's smart. He knows where to go with the ball. But it's his ability to extend plays that that has you know really carried this team to the the five straight AFC championships. So it'll be interesting to me. A big factor in this game will be Isaiah Pacheco, and he's he's a real find for this team. The way he runs the ball. Uh, has angry balls and he's explosive. Um, he really looked good last week, and I think that they're going to ride him a little bit more this week. And has really made Clyde Edwards-Hilaire basically non-existent within that offense, really going with Pacheco. But you wouldn't pick a winner between Eagles and 49ers, but when you look at Chiefs and Bengals, the personal connection to Cincinnati and their quarterback, Joe Burrow, do you lean Cincinnati or Casey? It's tough, man. Um, you know, again, the ankle injury is a huge factor. Um, Joe Burrow, to me, there's no more poised quarterback in the NFL than him. I mean, just never gets rattled, always knows where to go with the ball. Um, just always, you know, Joe Cool. The nickname fits him really well. Um, but, you know, to me, the X factor is playing in Arrowhead this time of year. Those fans are crazy. That stadium is crazy. And, um, you know, I've. I, when I was with the Cardinals, we suffered the worst loss in franchise history at Arrowhead. Um, so, you know, to me, I've got some bad memories in that place and, and know how tough it is to play there. You shared the story last season, a year ago at this time. Do it again because yep. you literally had a hand in Joe Burrow's success. That's right. Yep, Joe Burrow wouldn't be where he is without me. Um, his <laughs> his uh, brother, Jamie Burrow, was my roommate my freshman year at Nebraska. And uh, so I, little Joe Burrow was, I think, two or three years old at the time. So, um, I, you know, I held him and gave him some good advice and, and set him on the right path. That's where the poise comes from, you know, and it just rubbed off right there, literally at the time. Hey, the Vegas odds makers say that all four teams basically have the same chance of winning the Super Bowl right now, so it should be some must-watch TV. These final four teams win a combined 53-14 and in the regular season. 49ers-Eagles, the first game, Bengals and Chiefs, the second game. Special thanks behind the scenes, Jim Omohundro, Lauren Koval, for Paul Calvisi, Kyle Vandenbosch. I'm Craig Riolu. We'll talk to you in one week's time. It is the Cardinals Red Sea Report here on the Arizona Cardinals Radio Network. You've been listening to the Cardinals Red Sea Report. 15-10-5, touchdown, Zach Ertz. Buda Baker with the sack, stripped the ball. Murray's going to score, touchdown. Oh, baby. The Cardinals Red Sea Report is brought to you by the Arizona Cardinals mobile app. Visit azcardinals.com slash app. Touchdown, Cardinals win. This has been an exclusive presentation of the Arizona Cardinals Football Club. Oh.